Ronaldo's got that twist now and pivot in the air. Yeah. I look at him doing that and I'm thinking, oh, be careful. Yeah. That's like cruise shit. That's potential <laughs> cruise shit in the making. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. The summer is over. It's been raining this weekend. The club championship is back and Paddy Andrews is still coming home from holidays. It's episode 21 of the Football <laughs> Pod. How are we doing, boys? Good, good, bro. Paddy, fill the listeners in. Where, where were you this week? I shot over to, to London this weekend, uh, over to Andy's good buddy, Baza Solon, put on a, a great show for us at the uh, the North London Derby there on Sunday. So, beautiful. Sun was shining in London. No rain over there, 22 degrees, and Arsenal played the best game they've played in about 10 years. So The atmosphere was unreal, Paddy, was it? It was there. Well, I was just, we were only chatting afterwards. It's as good as it gets for Arsenal to win, to beat them. And like I said, they haven't played well in about 10 years. Yeah, and as a United fan going in, I kind of just sat back and relaxed. And kind of, it was a good game. It was a great game to be at. And we had a bit of crack with the lads. And your buddy came out and met us afterwards for a bit of, a bit of crack as well. So, yeah, let's go. Try to squeeze all the holidays in, guys. We've had a year and a half of doing nothing. So, you can shoot over to London for, for a day. Why not? You're an event junkie. And I, do you know what? You're really good at picking the right events as well. Ronaldo's debut, Arsenal's best performance in a couple of years. And the Emirates looked really nice as well. It, it looked really slick. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that was Paddy's weekend, Andy. But here's the idea for the next 10 pods. We can do... Paddy's little holiday review. Yeah. Four minutes of review. Like Catherine Thomas here, no frontiers. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, you weren't away this weekend, were you? No, we club championship. We got picked by Westport. Oh. I was doing okay, lads. I was doing okay, right? So it was it was going okay. And then after the last quarter break, I run into full forward and Lee Keegan comes in and marks me. <laughs> <laughs> Very demoralizing for a 37-year-old who's who's passed well past. Well past that then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well past his best. But um yeah, we came second. But um yeah, it was a good game. You were talking afterwards and from listening to you, and we're not going to do a full breakdown of your post-match interview here, but <laughs> you were. But some of this, you, you had a you had a tough enough first half. You were nine two down, and then you came out, and there was a bit of a comeback in the second half. Yeah, so we 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 we, we very very poor first half. We were, yeah, they, they they destroyed us. It could have been more, to be honest. Now we could have popped in a few as well, but they could have. They could have got 14, 15 points in the first half. They, they, they missed a good few chances, but we came out second half. We were, were outstanding, to be honest, and we got it back. But then they had a few quality. They had a bit of quality coming off the bench. They had Colin Moore, who, who was in the Mayo squad. They had Ben Doyle, who was in the Mayo squad. O'Shea McLaughlin, who was past member of a, a senior squad as well, under 21 player a couple of years back. And uh, they had a bit of quality, a bit of va-va-voom coming off the bench, as they say. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it took us. And they, they, we were like, we got back to level. 55, 56 minutes, but they just pulled away with a goal and a couple of points in the, at the end. So, no, no, we'd be very happy with the second half response and hopefully we play again this Saturday. So, we need okay. we need a quick turnaround. Best of luck on that one, Andy. Yep. Paddy, uh, one bit of news this week was Jack O'Connor coming in at Kerry. Like, he's brought in <laughs> Jeremy Murphy, he's brought in Michal Quirk. You know, Kerry have moved fast, so we've got a winter now of previewing what Kerry are going to be like in 2022. Yeah, well, look... look. <sighs> I, I thought straight away once he'd stepped down from Kildare that he, he probably had a bit of a background there that he was told that the job was his. So I was surprised when over the last kind of 10 days or so there was different people being put forward and it looked like they might have gone in a different direction. Uh, but but ultimately it's gone, gone to Jacko. And like I say, once, I, I don't think 
from any of the conversations or interviews he would have done that he was going to leave Kildare until once Peter Keane obviously was under pressure after a semi-final defeat he came out and did that uh, pretty ballsy interview in terms of throwing his name in the hat and then he stepped down from Kildare so I just assumed straight away that, that he was going to be the man um, he's had massive success with him in the past he obviously feels he can bring that back I mean he's gone into a job with some serious raw materials there like they've got outstanding players they've fallen short under Peter Keane, we saw how disappointed Peter Keane and, and his management team would have been. You know, ultimately, when you're in Kerry, it's about winning the All-Ireland and anything less is is seen as disappointment. They would have been gutted with, obviously, last season against Cork, but would have felt again. They probably underperformed against against Tyrone. So, look, he's gone in. It's September. They've, they've two or three months' work to get done, which I'm sure Jacko will have grand plans to get them up and running um, to kind of hit the ground running at the start of the National League next season so look it's an interesting appointment and that they have moved pretty quick there's obviously a couple of other things going on with, with other counties but he fancies it he's had the glory days before and mm. they're going to be putting serious pressure on him uh, to bring them back so it, very interesting to watch what happens it, there and it, who else kind of rounds off his management team as well 100% it's going to be really interesting so over the next 10 weeks or so on the football pod with Paddy and Andy we're going to be keeping an eye on some of the club championships some of the breaking news we'll be talking special congress and the potential changes or as we're hearing in the background the fact that there may not be any changes to the structures at all in 2022 we'll be talking about that over the next couple of weeks we have some big interviews planned here on the football pod I can't reveal who they are yet but you will hear it as we as we bring you each episode every Tuesday on the OTP Sports app this week on the Football Pod of Paddy and Andy, we're doing something a little different. I'm going to jump into the background. I'm going to leave the two boys here. Paddy Andrews on the left, Andy Moran on the right. I'm going to give Andy the mic straight off. And Andy Moran is going to interview Paddy. So Andy, the gloves are off. You can ask Paddy whatever you want. We're going to take a quick break here on the Football Pod first. And when you come back, you'll be with your host, Andy Moran. So that's it. This could be the longest podcast. The two of us interviewing each other. This could go on for about four hours. Well, I, I, I'm able to produce. This is a week's worth of podcasts for the listeners. <laughs> yeah, this, this is going to be good. I'm really looking forward to this. So I'll be back with you in a, in a we'll give it 45 minutes, an hour maybe. And yeah. uh, we'll leave the two of you to your own devices. So that's it. Episode 21 of the Football Pod of Paddy and Andy coming up next. Yeah, welcome back to the Football Pod with myself, Paddy Andrews. Uh, in the next section, I'm going to interview Paddy Andrews uh, about his life and times. We might even bring in Roddy Collins, a few others. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Roddy Collins, we might even mention yeah. him. But we'll go through a few uh, bits, Paddy, and I, I suppose you'll come back at me then and we, we, we'll see how we get on. But it, like my key thing, Paddy, is that I think over the last while, we're, we're trying to get our own experiences and get other people to learn learn from them so it's very easy to look at you and look at your 12 years of playing 11 Leinster titles 7 All-Irelands 5 National Football Leagues and just think I suppose everything was rosy over 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 that period but when I look back and I delve back into it and we kind of touched on it over the last couple of couple of couple of weeks like in 2010 Dublin go on and win an All-Ireland under 21 title under Jim Gavin you've played 3 years under 21 just before that you miss out Um then the winter of 2011, you're sitting there in Dublin and just won their first title in since 95. Um, do you know, how, how? like, where where are you there? Like, where's your mindset at? What's the learnings? What's the self-reflection you went through to, to get yourself back in to be that player that wins 11 Leinster, seven All-Irelands and five, five NFLs? And I think in the world we live in, in work, life, sports, education, everything, 
everyone is getting setbacks. But I think we look at this Dublin team and think there's a crew you there that got no setback and you just all of a sudden just took off and this is the way it was. But when you look into your career, there was setbacks and how did you deal with them and where did you go from? Yeah, look, it is. And, and I've kind of spoken about this briefly before since I kind of retired and, and look back because the, the headline stuff, look, when you look back on your career, it is kind of, you're judged on, I suppose, honours and things like that. Well, what did you win? And, and that can mask a lot of the actual journey itself. And, and for me, certainly, um, I played, I would have been a reasonably high-profile underage player in Dublin, uh, played three years with a minor team. We never won anything. This was like we didn't even make a Leinster final. That this was kind of oh, oh four, oh five, oh six. I was captain in oh six, and we lost to Offaly, who, who in the Leinster semi final never even got the Crow Park. Then, like you say, played three years under twenty one. Same story. The first two years we don't win a Leinster title, and literally my my sixth and final year of underage football with Dublin in two thousand nine, we actually win. We win the Leinster championship. Jim Gavin's the coach. We lose to Cork, the All-Ireland semi-final, a great Cork team who went on and won it. And uh, Colm O'Neill and Kieran Sheehan and these guys. But we lose by a point and we hit 17 wides and, and yours truly kicked six of them. Like a game we should not have lost. And it was just a common team, but, you know, underperformance. Myself, my, kind of not a whole pile of self-awareness for me at that time. I just assumed I'd played all these years underage. I'd be kind of tipped to be a senior player for Dublin. I was kind of just cruising, really, at that that point. And that can happen with a lot of underage players that, even though on the face, but looking back now, we weren't performing. I wasn't getting the best out of myself, and certainly our underage teams weren't. We, we weren't. Dublin should have been competing to win All-Ireland titles. We, we, we couldn't even win Leinster, so... I kind of carried that mentality in and sure enough in 2008 I made my dub, uh, debut with Dublin under Pillar Caffrey same story uh, I was 19 I played a couple of championship games and then we lost to Tyrone in that uh, All-Ireland quarter final in 2008 Dublin were kind of struggling at that point uh, we'd won Leinster titles at, at senior level but again similar to our underage teams we, we weren't in the mix to win All-Irelands Pat Gilroy comes in in 2009 I'm playing again same story, we get get hammered in that famous game against Kerry in the All-Ireland quarterfinal by 17 points. And me at this point was still kind of, I was thinking, I'm grand here. I'm, I'm 20, 21 years of age. I played championship games for Dublin and just assumed that I was on the right track. When I'm really looking back, and particularly to where I finished my career and, and the preparation and the focus I had, and, and particularly the whole team, like like the, the journey that team went on and the culture that was there at the end of my career, it was chalk and cheese where I was at starting out as an underage player. And that kind of came to a head where, where, where after Dublin lost in 2009, and this has been spoken about a lot, Pat Gilroy really just said about this whole culture needs to change. Not, everything from, not just me, all the players, our attitude, our preparation. And I know, Andy, you, you guys probably went through something similar with James when he came in that, that Mayo had, had kind of struggled for a couple of years. And the whole thing needed to be revised and revisited. And we needed to really question everything we were doing. So Pat started this process in 2010, got to an All-Ireland semi-final. So the team was moving on, but I wasn't. I was still in my, my phase so, of that. Give us, a, give us an example. So what, what, what were you not moving on with? Like, I, you don't I was have... still going out having a crack with my mates, yeah. hanging around with, with, with the lads from school and going on the beer in college and things like that. We actually won the Sigerson Cup in 2010. Yeah, I yeah. was captain. So it was a Sigerson Cup winning captain, and, and that was a team that had... Brian Cullen, Philly McMahon, Cahill Craig, Brian Sheridan, these guys, 
uh, really t- t- top inter-county players from around the country and I was the captain and we won it and that kind of nearly just fed like, I probably shouldn't have been to be honest but, but Niall Moynan made me captain and we won it and, and we had a great time um, but I was still kind of I still wasn't I wasn't being as professional as I needed to be and, and you can kind of say I was 21, 22 years of age that can happen with a lot of players but the penny hadn't dropped for me is that miss, is that missing sessions or is that just not recovering properly no not, not, not never like missing sessions but just not we touched on it Andy particularly when we're talking about towards the end of our career how we finally started maximising our potential and we, we look at players and we're talking about someone like Darren McCurry last week I wasn't doing anything extra I didn't think I needed to I was like just cruising I'd, I'd go train and then I'd go meet the lads uh, recovery stuff your diet Everything. It was just, I was assuming that my talent alone would, would, would be enough because it had to that. Like I said, I played underage. I'd, like I say, Sigerson Cup winning captain. You're thinking, geez, you're, you're ticking a lot of boxes here. But Pat, to be fair to him, knew there was way more there. And he, he, he challenged me a couple of times on it. And, and the penny just wasn't dropping for me. So, so even though Dublin were starting to change and they were getting a bit of steel and they won it, they bet their own for the first time in 2010 mm. in the quarterfinal and they lose to Cork and Cork won and beat down in the final and, and Dublin probably could have won that, that, that All-Ireland semi-final against Cork. So the die was cast, the culture was changing, people were working harder, they were trying to get every last drop out of it and I wasn't. So 2011 comes around and I'm not playing still and this is, I've been on the squad like I say for three years so your apprenticeship should really be over at that point. You know what I mean? You've done that. Now it's kind of step into the first team and, and, and develop and, and become a bit of a leader there. And I wasn't. And, and Pat basically just turned around. At the, at the end of the National League, we lost to Cork. We were seven or eight points up against Cork in the 2011 League final. Uh, and we lost the game. So there was, there was still vulnerability there in that Dublin team. And, and Pat was raging after it. And I, I'd been a sub. Hadn't really done anything in the National League. and was still going out with my mates. And he basically just turned around and goes, look, you're gone get out of here you, you, I don't know what to do with you go back to your club and it was only at that point this is incredible the immaturity and the, the kind of lack of like I say self-awareness was a big thing that it took for that to finally happen for me to kind of cop on and did you like when that call came from Pat right did you have like that two weeks where that month where you go I couldn't give a crap about that I couldn't give a shit about that and you move on or was it straight away or was it like no, t- and- t- t- to be honest, Andy, it was. It kind of hit straight away because I just, believe it or not, and again, looking back, you're going, Jesus, what planet was that? I didn't really see it coming, which is, you know, if you're, if you're dropped or, or guys have been, anyone listening to the have been dropped off a squad or they're not playing, you kind of get a sense, you know you're under pressure. Whereas me, I, was, I couldn't, I was like, what's Pat, what's Pat ringing me for here? <laughs> you know, it was that. So it did kind of hit straight away. And then as the summer develops, you're kind of, yeah, you go through phases like, oh, geez, I don't really, I don't care. And you're trying to put a brave face. And it's like, say, you're only, I was 22 at the time, 23. I think I turned 20, 22 or 23. <laughs> and then Dublin start going on this run and they, they beat Tyrone in the All-Ireland semi-final and the rain, a, a brilliant, one of their best performances. And you just got the sense they're actually going to win this. Dublin are going to win the All-Ireland for the first time uh, in, in, was it, 16 years. And it, it became... It was hard for me, I have to say, Andy. I was, I was, I was good at, absolutely good at. I'll never forget the the, the final. Glucko kicks the point against Kerry. I, I didn't even go. Yeah, I didn't go to it. I watched it at home on my own uh, in my parents' house. Um, my mum and dad went out and watched it. They knew I kind of wanted to watch it on my own. I actually cried at the end of it. Yeah. I was good at because I, I just 
I've been on that journey and I would have been very close with some of the guys in that team and it was an incredible moment. It was it was one of the most iconic moments for, for Dublin GAA and obviously what subsequently has happened and I just, I was like, I've completely, I'd no, I had nothing to do with it. I'd let myself down and, and wasn't, what didn't contribute uh, and what an opportunity there was at 23, really should be coming into my prime. I played for three or four years and I just basically mugged myself off really more than anything. And that, that's a hard place to be, but, but you know what? It was probably the lesson I needed to learn. And, and it but, was. But, I, but I, think, I think that's a key thing. Like I, I went through the retirement um, mm. phase. I genuinely taught me all oh, going to win the All-Ireland this year. And like, I, I'm well over, if I'm being honest, I'm well over the, you know, I don't feel like I'm missing out, but I still had to prepare myself for that moment that if me all win here, am I comfortable with this? Joe, am I? Now, I could say then, yes, I was, but I still had to mentally prepare myself. So I can imagine you in that situation, 22, 23, maybe not have developed mentally at that stage, missed out on the under 21, missed out on the senior. Mm. Joe, I think a lot of people, Paddy, find themselves in that place. And you have, you have two choices to make there. You have a yeah. choice to say, right, this is not for me. Let's move on and let's go traveling. Or you have a choice then to say, Right, what do I do? So then you go in, that that was the winter that you go to the Leinster final with Bridget. Yeah. And like, is it a mental switch? Is it is it something that said that you said, Joe, did you talk to Rory Gallagher? Or did you talk to someone that was it Pather? Did someone or was it just you that said, Come yeah. on, buddy, cop on here? You're absolutely you're spot on it because it is. It's too true. You kind of sit down and, and decide. And and nearly the easy way is to kind of say, Well, maybe blame everyone else. This is what I just saw with McCurry last week, but when he was dropped in 18, the easy thing to do is go, Mickey Hart doesn't have a clue. Or for me, uh, Pat Kilroy doesn't have a clue. He doesn't know what he's on about. And just move on and, and try and, and, and fake it, basically. And, and pretend that it doesn't really matter to you. And put on this brave face and go, like I say, go travelling with the lads and stuff like that. And that's fine. There's no issue with that. If, if you want to do that, but be totally confident that that's what you want to do. Don't do it and, and pretend. Where, or you suck it up and say, well, you know what? Maybe it's time you look in the mirror and talk to people around you. And I was very fortunate, like my parents, like my brothers had played and my club, St. Bridget's, were like we were a really good team at that time. We guys like Jerry McEntee and, and people involved in the club and just kind of started talking to them and they could see that it did mean a lot. And even though I could try and put a brave face on it, they knew I really want. Declan Darcy was a massive, massive part of this for me as well. And he would go on and then we'd have an amazing time with Dublin. But at, but at that time, I would have, would have known Declan very well and be friends with the family and stuff like that. And had these conversations. Just go, right, this is what you need to do. If you really want to do it and you really believe you're good enough, because bear in mind, Andy, at that time as well, you're, you're doubting yourself as well. Maybe they are right. Maybe I'm not good enough to do this. But to be fair to, to, to Pat, I'd always said, you have the talent to do this. That's not in question. It's everything else. Um, and having those conversations with people and having the right coaches and, and friends and family around you to go and do it. And do you know what it also does, Andy, as well? It makes you accountable as well. Mm. Because when, when, when you turn around and say to these people, and you see you're really low, and you go, look, I really want to play with Dublin. I want it. It is a dream. I'd love to win an All-Ireland. You're telling them they're going to put, under, put you under pressure and hold you accountable to that. You know, well, if you want to do that, well, start putting in the hard yards. And I was very fortunate to have the people and coaches around me to, to do that. And it was like, a, really, Andy, I'd, it was a light bulb moment. I would have rather I didn't need that kick in the hole of missing the All-Ireland. But sometimes, some players need that. And that likes to not just in sport, in, in life. You need to have a massive setback. 
ideally you don't, mm. but but in most cases you do to, to kind of make you realize and understand, okay, I need to start paying the price here. And yeah. we touched on it so many times in this part throughout. And for me, I always said this, my Dublin career started in January 2012, not in January 2008. The four years I've done before that, I was selling myself short and selling the team short. Um, and it was a valuable, valuable lesson for me to, to where I was able to finish with my career. And I'm, I'm very grateful that it happened, despite missing out on, on that incredible day in 2011. Yeah, like me and you have a similarities, I suppose, in the way we kind of played and we're back, we played in backs and we played in forwards and we, like, even the ball win and stuff like that. So we, there, there is similarities in it, but where we're very kind of different is that you were, I wasn't a star underage. I was making mm. squads, never getting on the teams, getting dropped, you know, at minor. Then at 21s, I was a bit better. Uh, but I was yeah. always the fella that maybe, I was the maybe guy, where you were the guy, you were the Kyle Coney's Dave Noshea's of 2008, mm. where you were you were the man. You were playing under 17 Ireland with Pierce Hanley and Gary Brennan mm. and these guys, Michael Murphy. So you were the guy that Dublin were looking to, to come through. Now, right, so one, did that put extra pressure on you? And secondly, when you had to change in 11, and the, the winter of 11 and 12, was it just attitude or did you change something in your game? Uh, I, I think attitude was the biggest thing. Yeah. And, and to be, was it, did I feel pressure or under Not, Not really. I should have. I probably should have because, like I say, I was kind of tipped to be the, the, this big star with Dublin, but I wasn't delivering. Like, like I was on these teams. I played three years minor, was a captain and things like that. But we didn't win anything. <laughs> like, this, this was the other thing as well. I was kind of just thinking, well, the feats didn't hurt me enough. I would say back then it was just like I was just plodding along, drifting. I, I always use that phrase. I was drifting. I was just kind of talent will get me here. I'll be fine. I had a great time, great friends, great crack, all that stuff. But if you're talking about a serious footballer and, and trying to win, I'd I'd regret not winning underage All Ireland. Like I thought we we teams and players like Dermot Connolly, uh, Keane O'Sullivan, Johnny Cooper, these guys. We, we, I think we under no, we did underperform. We didn't win a minor All-Ireland title and under-21 All-Ireland title. That that came later for Dublin. You know, the, the three or four years after, and the guys like Kenny and McCaffrey and Mannion, they won multiple All-Irelands at underage. I, I, I would regret not doing that. But, but the biggest thing, without a doubt, and it was attitude, 100%. I said, skill was, was there, but I wasn't... We, we touched on it so many times. Maximising potential. It's like the tagline of the pod when we're talking about teams. I wasn't. I really, really wasn't. Um and the attitude was out of there was the biggest thing. The, the stuff like nutrition and, and and analysis and preparation that all comes as as GA and Dublin in particular put a real focus on that as a, as a group, and you buy into that. But just having the mentality to know that you need to do that. I didn't think I needed because because I was having playing underage and playing with Ireland and and, and cigars and cups with DCU and stuff like that. I was cutting corners and didn't think I needed to. So, so the attitude, like I say, the penny dropping and, and having a big setback and having, and this is where, where this was Pat Gilroy's brilliance. He, he, he challenged lots, he challenged all those players. Like I say, they copped on before I did, but, but that was Pat's thing. That's what was needed at the time and why he's such a successful guy in business. And, and but, but, but what he did with Dublin was, was incredible in creating that culture and being challenged, I mean, taking out of your comfort zone was without a doubt what I needed. And I, I know Pat quite well and would have chat with him lots of times since. And we have a laugh about it now because it was so right. 
But at the time, I was like, Jesus. You laugh about Antonio seven on Ireland's buddy. <laughs> <laughs> if I, yeah, to be honest, if we didn't win, if we didn't win one after that, I don't know. If we'd be yeah, laughing. yeah, you might be, too, you might be laughing. Well, like, uh, and then, like when you see it, then you see the likes of Paul Flynn, yeah, uh, Michael Darren McCauley, James McCarthy, these guys, Ono Garrett coming in, right? And they're so. I would say you were a footballer first. Yeah. And I don't mean this derogatory to any of the boys like McCarthy. <laughs> you know what I think of him. I think he's the most important player. He probably nearly produced Barrett Cluxton. Uh, Flynn was probably the best wing forward I've seen. Michael Aaron McCauley gets uh, um, football of the year. And Ono Garrett was so effective in so many different games, right? But you see them coming in as athletes and they really develop their skills into footballers where you probably took a tiny bit different of a route. You were probably the <laughs> footballer first. And was it that athletic form that you need to build as, to, 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 to get yourself back in? Oh, oh, the hundred percent, yeah, without a doubt, and that—that that was my—that was, my, that was my mindset that that my football alone would get me there. Because when you're playing underage and stuff like that, your physique—I was quite a big kid, so you kind of get away with that. Whereas when you the step from underage football to senior club, and what, and then to senior intercounty, it is a whirlwind, and, and that's when you talk about. Only the very, very best come up and do this straight away. Like Clifford is an example. We had it with Jack McCaffrey and Kirk Kenny. Not many players do that. It takes two, three years to, to, to build the, the mental toughness, the aerobic capacity to get up and down the pitch, the physicality to, to, to win ball, particularly in the, in the full forward line, to win your own ball, to be able to go by guys. You're playing 27, 28, 29-year-old, fully grown men, and you're 19 coming in. It takes time to do that. And, and I was just relying on my on my talent alone would get me there. And, and the worst thing, Andy, was that, that sometimes it did. So there'd be glimpses, and like I play well under my first year with Pillar in a game, and we do something with the college or we we go out on the club championship and it was those little nuggets that were like false, false signs, but they were given, that's what I was focusing on. Whereas I, I would find that later in my career, the more experience I become, I always focused on the, the, the negative. Where do I improve? What areas did I not, did not go well today? Yes, I scored three or four points, but I missed two shots and I'd go out and hammer those shots for the whole week in training. I was focusing on my, my weak points and trying to improve every aspect. Where on the other side, when I was a kid, I was just saying, oh, well, it was great. And kind of nearly a blind spot. I, I'm not going to focus on that. Um, and you can't do that. You cannot do that. Like I say, very, very, very few players in Gaelic football or any sport can get away with that. The talent alone will get them through. You have to have the sacrifice and work right with it. And that's what I was missing. It was attitude. Whatever it's something that I'd have kind of observed from the outside of, of you guys that you were very good at self-analyzing each other and yourselves. Um, and I, I think, like, I don't know if that came from Gilroy or Jim Gavin or Declan Darcy or where it came from or through the underage structures, but it's like something that you got into your mentality where you were like always kind of saying, right, we're playing, and again, not being uh, dismissive to the counties, but the Wexfords, the Wicklows, all these guys through the years, and you're pounding them by 20 points because you it looked like you were searching for something. You were searching for something extra there. You know, you weren't letting them off the hook. You were kind of saying, we're competing against ourselves here slightly. Is that true to say? Oh, without a doubt. Without without a doubt. And that kind of, look, to be honest, that really kicked off with, like, like Pat kind of broke the back and we won the All-Ireland in 2011. That was a mental thing, the mental lift for all the players. And like I say, 
and you're talking about setback like Cluxton, Bernard Brogan, Dermot Connolly, Paul Flynn, Keane or they were all playing in these games in 2009 when, when Kerry embarrassed you. We lose a heartbreak in semi-final against Cork. So th- th- there were setbacks for all of those guys despite what has come on and what they've achieved afterwards. So, so, so the win in 11 was a massive mental thing whereas what Jim came in and the genius of Jim was this kind of culture of, you know, and, and like people laugh about the, the process. Like every single time we took the pitch, we had targets of what we want to achieve. It, it was never a case, and, and people laugh at you, they don't believe you. So, like if we were playing Wicklow, if we're playing Wex, or we're playing whoever, and we're, we're red hot favourites, we were still going out to perform. Yes, 99 times out of 100, we, we understood we're, we're probably going to win this game, no matter what, really. Um, but performance was the biggest thing. And everyone, that's hard to get everyone to buy into that, Andy. And, and you know, when you've got 30, 35 guys and everyone outside is telling you that game is, you're going to win that game by 20 points. What, why does it matter? Our focus was on performance. And, and that, that was driven from the coaches, but then also the players. And we were very fortunate to have some brilliant leaders Guys like Stephen and, and Johnny Cooper and these guys and great coaches that that was driven into us. And you're right, it was always about no matter what the score was. And guys like uh, I've been um, coming in off the bench or, or Kevin McMenamin or Cormac Castles coming off the bench. Now I have to perform. That's that's my chance. Even if it's ten minutes and we're winning by fifteen points, I need to take the right options. I can't be selfish. I can't try and kind of four scores myself, I need to perform for the team or else I'm just not going to play. And we were very blessed that we had the coaches who demanded that and the players, the depth of the squad we had, the players had to buy into that because if you didn't, you were gone. You just weren't going to play. Everyone, everyone's place was on the line, no matter who you were, whether it was Bernard Brogan or whether it was uh, myself co- co- coming in or a younger guy coming in, you had to apply, though. you had to, kind of play to those standards otherwise someone else is going to take your spot so that was, was a, that, was, that was a key advantage he had to eat he'd always it was a massive it was a yeah. massive thing Andy because yeah. like you'll know going at the coaching or you've seen in teams and we touched on this in earlier pods as well it's easy for coaches to say this to players and easy, every coach wants this to be the case but if the star players know they're the star players and know there's no danger of someone taking their place or they don't have that depth or the quality there, are you going to get 100% buy Maybe, but, but more than likely you probably won't. Whereas, whereas with Dublin, because of the squad we had, it was a brilliant situation for Jim. was brilliant for us, but also the players were brilliant for Jim because he knew... he. he he just put it on to the players. He goes, look, if you don't do it, I don't care. You just won't play. Someone else will. And he'll be every bit as good as you. So, Paddy, if you don't do it, well, Kevin McBenham will do it. And he's just going to take your place. So, so it was it was a perfect storm, nearly, for both sides. And it was a, it was a, really, it was a massive, massive advantage for us to have that. They, they, like just bringing you back, right? So you've worked through you, you had key influencers when you were when you were a young guy. You had Rory Gallagher at Fail, yeah. I think sixteens, whatever, maybe massive coach, yeah, yeah, bit of minor. So you go through that 22, 23, 24. Like when you get to twenty three, twenty four, then and you're you're on the pitch and you're kicking, you're kicking, you're kicking, you're trying to get yourself back into the Dublin squad. You've dream one in the Ireland. Do the messages then that because I know myself, I John Amani when I was a young guy. Yeah, his messages nearly became more clear to me at 25 than they were at 19. So, like, could you hear the messages that Rory was trying to tell you at 14, 15, 16 when you got to 23 and you were trying to get your way back? 
Yeah, and that's like you can't underestimate the influence of of having you know a brilliant teacher or a brilliant coach. Because like you go out on the pitch and you do it yourself, but but, but like say even when you're totally bought into it and you're doing all the right things, you, you still might have areas blind spots that you're thinking. Because I think I'm doing everything right, but having a sounding board there, like you say, every player I think has this end, you know, there's people, you listen to Tyrone boys over the last couple of weeks, they're, they're thanking their club coaches or their teachers and things like that, because everyone plays a part in that journey. That's the beauty of the GAA, that, that you have that sort of mentality and that community there. And, and certainly for me, like you would say, 2013 was James' first year with Dublin. That was my breakout year. You know, I touched on it last week, he plays me in the National League and I score play well and get man of the match in a couple of the league games and it was just having Declan Darcy there kind of in the background or Jim himself you know like played underage with Jim and just have given you the confidence and saying yeah that was really good here's a maybe an area you can prove on for next week and and this is what I was touching on with, with Tyrone and new coaches this year once you start seeing tangible benefits from the sacrifices you're making you're just like you'll do anything then <laughs> you, you know Tim like and Deck and the coaches and, and Martin Kennedy was our strength and conditioning guy at the time. He's with the IRFU now. Brilliant, brilliant guy in terms of getting physically ready to play. Um, and all of a sudden, we, we played Cork in the National League in the opening game of 2013 in Pro Park under lights. And we scored five points for play and get man at a match. And after that, I just gone, oh my God. Like sitting in the dressing room with one of the dodgy bits of crystal, the fake crystal that you get off of Adidas. The thing probably melted there about two weeks later. Um, but just sitting there looking at it, kind of going, why was I not doing this? Yeah. I've wasted four years of my career. I put in the work, doing all, making all the sacrifices, totally bought into this. James giving me an opportunity. He's giving back to me. This is what's achievable. So, so then the, literally the whole season I'm like I'll do anything else <laughs> you know I'll, I'll train twice a day every day of the week because this is what it's about that feeling of going out and performing in Crow Park and, and performing with your teammates I remember after the game getting out of the match and like it was Jer Brennan at the time you know a brilliant player Vincent's come going fair play Paddy like shaking their hand like and just going Jesus like you have so much respect for these guys and now they could they could kind of see as well, I'd say, from the outside down, this fella's finally kind of copped on a bit. Uh, so, so so once that happens, once you see a tangible reward for the sacrifice you're putting in, it just makes it so much easier to buy in. You, you need that. You need to have vindication and validation, really. And that's what we, we said, the, for bringing it back to Tyrone this year, that their win over Donegal was a massive thing for them. Beating a big team and, and then you could just see the confidence they got from that, they got better every game after that. And for me, my journey as a player, that, that, that was massive, having the coaches there to back you and then finally getting the reward for it. And then it's like, like say, how was I not doing this? It was so obvious at that point, you know? And, and for the people listening, the underage coaches, because I'm kind of coaching at the club at the minute and mm. I see the other guys there and they're looking for no, they're looking for no validation. At all. They're looking for no credit. They're looking for nothing. They're just doing it because they might help you along their journey. And I think the key message, what I'm catching out of that is, yes, you got the tangible reward, but how did you get there? You, you're, you're a superstar young player. You're three years minor for Dublin. I, I, don't, I don't say that um, out of disrespect in any way, but to play three years minor for Dublin is insane. The only one I knew that did that was Brian Cullen, I thought. I didn't know mm. you did it. You played three years under 21, and yet you see yourself sitting away from the team for 12, 14 months, 
really hard. And what gets you back there is getting out on your pitch, kicking footballs, and yeah. analysing stuff that you can get better on. Like, literally not looking at the stuff that gets you good. Of course, you have to de- develop that. Yeah. But saying, right, I scored three points. What did I do wrong? How can I make this better? Yeah. And then 12 months later, you're in Crow Park, first round of the National League, you're scoring five points against Cork, and you have a bit of, as you call it, fake crystal in your hand. And it, <laughs> but it's, some people, I, I think people do struggle, Paddy, and I think that was the key message there, just to emphasise I think people do struggle to see how you got from sitting in your couch in your mum's house, crying at clubs yeah. in the winter, to get man the match 14, 15 months later in Crow Park. And that was just simply by saying, how do I get better here? Yeah. Where do I make changes in my life? But where do I make changes in my life? It's, it's having the, the mentality to, to accept that. And, and like you say, that, that's some players, some people are mature, more mature than others. Some people are really mature when they're 16, 17. Some people it takes their 25, 26. Some people never get it. <laughs> you know, and that's, it's like that's where it's important to have those conversations with the people around you, like having it that's kind of supporting it with your family, your friends, your coaches in the club, your teachers in school or or in university. And and having the 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 mentality to say, okay, I was wrong here. I need to what I was doing was not right. I'll hold my hands up there, I'll admit that. Now I really want to do this. How do I get better? And, and like I say, some players, and it can be hard for players, like ego gets in the way of these things, particularly if you're an underage star. And then you'd have come across loads of players in your time. And, and I was the same later on in my career where you're just thinking the pennies was never going to drop at these guys. And it doesn't happen for them. You know, the, the clubs are littered around the country with players like that, that what might have been. That's and that's not just GA in, in any sport. And I, I realised how lucky I was that, that I had the people around me and the coaches yeah, and yes, that, that I put the work in. And that's why it was such a massive thing for me to get to get dropped and for Dublin to win the All-Ireland. I, I could have been on that squad. Pat could have just said, you know what, we've, come on, we, we let him off. It'd be very harsh if we dropped him and won the All-Ireland. Mm. Pat was ruthless. And he did it for my own benefit. I could have stayed on that squad and been a sub and never really played and not really contributed and won that All-Ireland. And I tell you what, I don't think I'd have been much used to Jim Gavin for the next seven or eight years if that was the case. We didn't learn that lesson because I probably still wouldn't have. You know, the, so it's, the ego thing is is the key. You just yeah. cut back saying, Pat Gilroy has dropped me. He's done it for this reason. Mm. Yes, of course you want that little bit of grit in you to say, I'll prove them. Of course you you have that as well. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. you need a bit of that. You need a bit of jealousy and envy of the boys, what they did. Respect them with jealousy and envy. I want some of that. But then you need to go and put the work in. And if you can identify, and I think you've said it there, if you can identify the small areas of improvement Mm -hmm. and go to work on them, the world is your oyster. And as you said there, like me personally, like... Like, I've never been the most talented footballer, never been there. But, like, I've seen fellas losing out. And still at 40, complaining about a manager that dropped them when they were 20. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, surely yeah. you can see that you're... Yeah, you're no, I just... Yeah, I know, I know exactly I know exactly what you mean. No, but it's powerful to see a fellow that's won seven All-Irelands that's willing to actually say, do you know something? There's no there's no secret. It's like, it's just... Here, here we go. Oh, I mean, that's why... And when I were touched on the MVP last week for the season, that's why I gave it to McCurry because I know... Ex- I could see it and I loved his, his chat afterwards that it would have been easy for him when Mickey Hart turns around to him in 2018 and says, they're not for me. And he's old. Like, uh, this happened to me quite young in my career. McCurry had been around. Easy for him to turn around and go, do you know what? Thanks, Mickey. 
I don't agree with you. I'm going to the States or whatever. Or I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to work or I don't know if he's kids or anything. I don't know. I don't know him personally, but it takes stones to, to kind of go, put the ego to one side and go, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. And I need to go. I need to work on my game. And, and, and the easiest way for me, Gaelic football is not that complicated a game. I don't feel if I'm a forward, am I fast enough? Am I fit enough? They're, they're, they're physical things. Do I need to work on that? Am I strong enough? Do, can I win my own ball? Can I go by players? So if not, I need to go to the gym. Am I technically good enough? Can I kick the ball over the bar on my right foot, on my left foot from 30, 35 yards? That's the game. That's Gaelic football right there. It's easy to analyse it. And if you're not good in one of those areas, we'll go and get better at it. Go to the gym. Lose weight. Put on weight. Whatever's needed for you. You know, that's, it, it's easy to see if you have the mentality to say, well, I'm not good at this area of the game, but how do I get better? Talk to the coaches. Talk to people who you respect. There's loads of people who tell you you're not good. We talked some last week. I wouldn't be looking to the media telling you you're good or you're bad. That, that could be uh, quite false. I talk to people you respect and coaches respect or teammates you respect in your club, in your county, on your county team. And they'll tell you. They'll tell you. You know, you're not good enough at that. You can't win your own ball. You're too slow. <laughs> it might be as blunt, but, but they'll give you areas where, and you say, okay, now we're talking, it's, it's the 28th of September. You have three months before the season starts. So what are you going to do with those three months? Are you going to go to London with me every weekend? <laughs> That's no use. That's no use to you. Yeah. If you're finished, knock yourself out. But if you're talking about going back playing in the county football next season, what are you going to do with those three months? You know, and, you really should start a blog. <laughs> I'm hoping to get a travel show. Do off the ball have a travel show as well? No? Yeah, I think that's a brilliant way to finish. We, I'm just going to ask you a few questions. Our friend of the pod, Roddy Collins, <laughs> yeah. he, 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 he reckons you need to tell the true story about this man and United thing. He reckons he whined and dined you. <laughs> there's definitely you the wine. I don't know yeah. if there's much dining. Yeah, I give you the fine china in the house. You know, and you drank, you drank, and you, you had fun. You signed for Mona, and then you bottled it. This is what he reckons. <laughs> <laughs> this was 2011, yeah. So this was the road it was going down. But Pat gave me the bullet. Roddy was straight on. No, Roddy, he lives around the corner. From me. What a, what a <laughs> and he's like, true Roddy style, he sets an opportunity. So he says, listen, come around. And it was decent at soccer. Right? It wasn't great. Now, but uh, they were in Division 1 at the time, so... The Rod Squad were about to be in the mix. And I went around the train. It was fun. This was the, what I was thinking of doing. <laughs> Instead of like, you know what? Forget about the gal. Try and make it. Try and get signed in the transfer window now next January. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just talking to the club and Jerry McIntyre as well. And I just go, do you know what? He's like, what are you at? Is that what you want to do? One, you're stonewall useless at soccer. <laughs> you, you won't enjoy it. Or do you want to put the shoulder to the wheel and give this a go properly. So that was the couple of weeks. And look, what might have been, I love Roddy, he's absolute box office. But uh, yeah. I think I made the right call to go back training with the club and we ended up winning the winning the championship that year. So yeah, I, I did battle the soccer now, I have to say. But uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing. I think I made the right call. Despite, I would have had some great stories with Roddy as well, now I have to say. When I was up in uh, two great people to be, Jesus McEntee and Ruddy Collins. Jeez, they're two, two, two. Like, I'd, yeah, I'd like, be a good I'd conversation. Like, yeah, I'd like to see that fight. But they, they, <laughs> uh, they, they um, 
the what was I going to say? Sorry, I was up in St Vincent's actually when I retired in nineteen to do an off the ball gig, and uh, Eamon Fennell was there. Do you know? It was before yeah. the Dublin final, and Fennell was there, and he was telling stories about pulling Barry Cahill out of his house in his pajamas. This yeah, bus yeah. was it the Vingabus you used to call it. Were you ever involved in this Vingabus? No, it was just before my brother would have been, Patter would have been, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think Patter was trying to drive the Vingabus. <laughs> Uh, no, it was before my time. Very good stories about it. it was a Monday. This is this is maybe where Dublin were going wrong. Now four oh five oh six. We did win a championship game in the first round. I think we need uh, Fennel. Fennel could be one of our boys. Could he be one of our interviewers? Could he'd he? Be, yeah, he's very mature now, Amo. You know, he'd be a great man now. To looking yeah, back, but uh, no, there was definitely some some good crack back in the day now. But it was just before my time. I tell you, I'm surprised if what still wasn't on it because that's the type of mentality I had at the time <laughs> to try and get on it at 16. Like, before we leave you, Patrick, uh, one book recommendation. Do you have any book recommendation for us? Oh, um, give you a, a, a sports book I thought was was brilliant. Was The Boys in the Boat? I think is it Daniel Scott Brown? I can't remember your man's name. Okay, uh, The Boys in the Boat. It's a very famous book. I actually think it's been made into a film now. Um, about the 1936 Olympics, uh, the US rowing team. It's just a great story. It's very, I'm sure people would have come across it. Read that a couple of years ago. Um, so it was a great story. Very, very good. And geez, and not, uh, no, no, that, that's that's good. We can go with that. Well, that's it. One and done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And lounging in your uh, lounger out in uh, Positano. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm my next holiday. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it really is a travel blog now, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Paddy. Uh, we're just going to leave you now with the, the the real story from the horse's mouth of the time you nearly signed for Man and United. Well, Tommy, uh, just a few questions for Andy to ask Paddy. I, and I know what you're thinking. I'm out here in Spain. I've just arrived on my boat. Well, you know what? You're not wrong, Tom. You're not wrong. Andy be probably saying that flash bastard out there in Dublin. So look, it is what it is. Anyway, Paddy's version of events when uh, when he signed for me is totally different. The way you're going to read in my book when it comes out. Um, Paddy came into my house, accepted my hospitality. He signed the contract. He shook me hand. He gave me a hug. He drank me tea. He ate me breakfast as well. And uh, as soon as I hit the media and bridges were kicking up, Paddy Bottle. Shame, could have been a very good player. Oh, well, Andrew, that was very kind of you. I, I expected a, a bit more probing. I thought you got to put me under pressure, but that was uh, that was top class. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, and good looking back down memory lane, as always. So um, you had a slightly longer career than me, Andrew, so I will... Uh, We'll go through some of the questions as well. A broader range to cover for you, but uh, I'll be very kind with you after that lovely interview. You <laughs> um, I suppose, Andy, look, look kicking off, um, we've kind of chatted about this um, on, on earlier versions of the pod and things like that. I, I'd have a massive interest in other sports. Uh, would have played, like I said, played soccer, would have loved that, would have watched sort of hurling, rugby and things like that as well. And I know you had a similar type of story with... Yes, you've ended up being, you know, this iconic GA player, one of Mayo's best ever players. But what sort of influence that other sports have on you in your formative years? You know, before as you start making the Mayo minor and under twenty one teams or through your teenage years, 
And, and how important is it for, I'm thinking, young players today to maybe get that experience of playing soccer or rugby or handball or whatever it is? You know, and, and, and how did that form you? How important was that in becoming the player that you went on to become? Yeah, it's, it's a massive party. I would um, continue to view the game of Gaelic football through the eyes of a soccer player, I think. Um, I was kind of obsessed with... with uh, the the number ten role in soccer where you kind of play between the lines so much so I I think at times in Gaelic football particularly in my younger years where I used to be more interested in giving the ball and assisting where it needed to be nearly a conscious effort for me to to be the scorer mm. um, so like I used to love try to like I I get such a a buzz out of playing a fella through a line or putting a ball in over the top or doing something really kind of fancy with the ball instead of just doing the, the right thing and kicking the ball over the bar. So I think that got in my way a tiny bit, but all the kind of movements, the way you play, the way you stay close to goal, the way you kind of use your opponents and your, your teammates would all kind of come from a, a soccer background. But then I played handball, golf, basketball, um, kind of every sport that was going on in the town. And what that allowed me to do was it made you into a team player. So where I was around the town, maybe the maybe the best soccer player, I was never the best Gaelic footballer. I was never the best handballer. So in handball, when you play doubles, in, I played on the right-hand side because the best player plays on the left because he can use his left and right hand. Right. So I was always the guy that used to kind of supplement him or kind of get in around. So if you have that mentality where sometimes you have to be the star man, Sometimes you need to be the supporting cast. I think even that kind of helps you. And then you look at the technical aspects in soccer where the ball is at your foot. You need to be really good technically. You need to be have a good touch. Your movement needs to be good. Your communication needs to be strong. All that, like, And then you get into Gaelic football and all that then should come easy for you. You know, in basketball, the same. You're, you're uh, training how to defend in a zone. You're training how to counter-attack. You're training how to press. All these games, I just think, kind of supplement a player into becoming a better player. But I think the key one is sometimes you're the best. You could be like you as a young fella, you could have been the best Gaelic footballer because you were big and you were strong. But then you go and play with soccer with all kind of inner city lads who would have a way better touch than you. They'd be running around you. And then all of a sudden you have to adapt your game and play a different kind of role and maybe be a centre-back in soccer or be a striker in soccer or centre-back in Gaelic and play different kind of roles. I think that's all it's out. And when I look through my career, even the Mayo team now that's playing, the likes of Jeremy O'Connor, really exceptional soccer player, Stephen Cohn, and a, a top-class swimmer, a water polo player, would you believe? Do you know, like yeah. with Gavin Duffy, who played you know, rugby, and Aidan played basketball. Do you know, all these guys played different sports, and I think it just gives you a fuller kind of picture of what a sport should be. And on top of that, too, we were very lucky. Handball, we, like, we had the best handball club in the country at the time. And we were coached by a guy called John Gaffney, who was an all-famer all handball coach uh, at the time. And to see him in action, is, is, his grandson Rory plays up front for Shamrock Rovers at the minute. But to see him in action at the time and how he coached and how he cared for people. Now, he was a tough taskmaster. Now. He would, mm. you know, there was nothing easy. But if you were on, if he had, if you had him in your corner, like, you would, nothing would kind of, nothing would phase you because he would, Dive you, you know. So even seeing different elements of coaching, how would like we say in Gaelic that we train hard, Paddy. If you're going to play, if you're going to be a good handballer, you need to train six, seven, eight times a week to mm. even compete. You know, in Gaelic football, we train three, four times. It's lovely to see that different kind of uh, aspect of different sports as well. 
No, no, no. I totally agree. I think it's absolutely, it, it's massive to have that exposure to different things at a younger age. And look at some of, like, like examples, like we had Michael Darren McCauley, obviously very famous basketball background, Kieran Donaghy, obviously with, with Kerry, the influence that other sports can have. And like you say it there, if you're good at soccer, if you're if you've the technical ability to be good at soccer, you're going to be all right in Gaelic football. <laughs> really, you know, guys like Mannion and stuff like that with us. Uh, Jack McCarthy would have been very similar as well. So it, it's interesting to hear that, that, that because you do see other things, and particularly in the States, I've I, I seen a documentary about Andre Agassi. You, you might have seen it on Sky, where parents seem to just push them into one sport. And it's so obsessive at that point. And th- I think, fortunately, we don't have that mentality in Ireland. But you, you do see that you have to be so dedicated to one sport from three or four years of age. I always would have been the exact same as yourself, that the exposure to different sports, the physical and technical challenges they provide, have such an influence on, on how you perform as Gaelic football. You can always see that I felt with your game, that, yeah. that your movement was very, you could see that you were thinking about it like nearly like a soccer player as well. Like So it's, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with it. And you you got to have, you got to, there's huge advantages in, when you look at the soccer players, like Shamie Coleman, Duffy, I don't know if you've seen them kicking the Gaelic football in the Viva. No, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You look at their games they're not the, technically the best soccer players in the world. Are they using elements of Gaelic football in, in, in soccer? Are they using their physical ability? Their, like, is Duffy using his, like, his ability, his aerial ability in the, in the box? Do you know, are they using his jury? Like, is John Egan using his... his, his do you know, and Ireland is a team of kind of... Um, Ireland is a, is, a, is, a, is a country where we've... A good level of soccer, good level of rugby, good level of Gaelic football, and all these kind of sports kind of supplement each other. And the key advantage Gaelic football has for everyone is that you use your hands and your feet. So you use kind of your four limbs, which gives you a huge advantage no matter where you want to go as the Australian rules, rugby, Gaelic football or soccer. It gives you a huge advantage. So my thing would be the exact same as you, and I'd be worried at the minute that soccer clubs are trying to tie guys in there at 14 where I think it's too young, where if you're going to make the call, make it at 16, 17, I'd encourage parents to get them, their kids, allow them to play. Now, it's hard on a parent. I can see it myself. You have three or four different sports going on. I've only a seven, six-year-old girl, and she's playing tennis, swimming, Gaelic football, and you're gone every day of the week, but it's actually really, really good for them because it'll help them in every other element of their life. And like you go into, you go into business, Paddy, and if you're only used to being the star man in a Gaelic football team, like you're not going to be the star man at work you need to be, learn how to be that you know that second player the third player you might get to the top eventually but you need and other sports that you're not very good at will give you that kind of exposure to that as well yeah there's benefits not just not just on the pitch as well that different environments and, and operating them in your soccer or GA or basketball clubs it's it's massive and I totally agree for, for, for parents with, with kids and, and, and to kind of get them as much exposure to, to, to different things as they can Um. I'm going to go down the, the road here, Andy. I know you, you're a massive, massive fan of college. Yes. Definitely exaggerated. Definitely exaggerated. <laughs> you, if you could go back and play another Sigerson again, by God, you'd, you'd bite their hand off for it. Um, I only realised, Tommy set me on, you won three Sigersons. You were in that, that great Sligo IT team. And then the, the all-star selection of, of Jordan's death when you spent yes. some time there. I just, for your folks, and this kind of gets lost, 
uh, outside of the players themselves. You know, we talk about the Sigurdsson, it's a really high standard. doesn't get much coverage. But your own experience of, of college, of playing with guys from other counties for the first time, lessons you learned from that. And I suppose just the, the enjoyment, like college football and the Sigurdsson Cup is about a bit of crack as well as, as ultimately trying to, win, trying to win the thing. So what, what are your thoughts on, on your own experience of it, the lessons you might have learned? And I suppose what, your thoughts on it today, where it stands in the GAA today? Yeah, I, I, I think it's huge. I, I think basically where it stands is straight away is it gives a, a kid who's, particularly people who might be good enough to get a scholarship. I wasn't one of those when I first went to college. But yeah. guys that are coming up, we're trying to keep our top players playing our game. And you're giving a college the opportunity. You give a lad a, a scholarship to go to college and maybe pay for his fees to play Gaelic football. Like, how is that not a fundamental part of our game considering we're an amateur sport? It has to be. It has to be straight in there, in my opinion. But then the on the football side of things, I, I, I went to Tralee first when I came out of college for two months. Yeah. Right? Miss Mammy too much. Home I came. Uh, broke my wrist, got an operation on my wrist. I didn't go back for two years. So I went back when I was 19 and the Sligo had just won the Sigerson. They didn't win it the year pre, they, they won it the, the year before that with an unbelievable team, just players from everywhere. Great team. They won it in a storm against UCC. I think it was just, it, it was amazing. And then we went in and I, I, I was lucky enough, I was privileged enough to win with a team with Kevin Casty. Now at the time, Kevin Casty was just an incredible footballer. And that was that team was littered with with really good players. Um right from all the Mayo books, from Paul Durkin and Goal to Pat Kelly at fullback to Brian Maloney to all these guys. We a guy called Paddy Brady then with from Cavan, uh, Kevin Cassidy, Barry. Is this is 04, Andy. This is 0304 ish or yeah, so this is 0304 the, the time we won it and then we won it 0405 as well. But that team was just brilliant. But Cassidy was the man. Like he was the man. And for me to be exposed to a guy like him was, was insane. Now, I couldn't socialise with him like because <laughs> I'd have ended up uh, maybe in Scotland or somewhere after. But like, couldn't, <laughs> but, but to, to see him playing football and to see him dominating games from wing back like was just all I needed. Like, I, like again, I went down there. I wasn't great. I was on a Mio panel, but I was only just on it. Um, mm. I didn't really believe that I was good enough to play. Um, and then all of a sudden, I just started chipping away. Paul Finley was there, class player from, yeah. from Monan, Christy Toy, just watching these guys. And all of a sudden, then I could compete. And the, the, them lads started trusting me as a footballer, giving me the ball. And then all of a sudden, I was thinking, geez, you know, I could actually maybe you know, get there. And uh, it, it was college that gave me the belief. Um, then in 05, not 405, we put Queens in the final. We hadn't a great team. That wasn't a Galacticos team. That was, for me, the Sigerson I remember. That was the Sigerson I remember. Yeah. We were very poor at times. I think we finished six all against Queens in the final. Yeah, in full time, we got uh, a, a young guy, Jamie Murphy, uh, harshly sent off from me after 12 minutes. I had to go back wing back. Uh, and we, we we bored out and we, we, we drew six all and we won it. But that team was crazy. It was... Joe, that was the singing going in on the bus. That was the parties going on afterwards. That was that was all that it was meant to be. And then lucky enough to go to Jordanstown then in, in my last year. But again, all massive learnings for me was just going in, being exposed to top class individuals, 
footballers who were way, way better than me. And for me to even compete with them, Paddy, I needed to train and I needed yeah. to lift weights and I needed to be good enough going back in September, October to college to make sure I wasn't made a show of in college. And that's the way it worked through. Gave me the chance, gave me the kind of foothold. Went to Jordanstown then, met great influences, like even Peter Donnelly, who, who's now with the IRFU, I think, working. Um, but met his uncle, Adrian McGuckin, from Ballanderry, a superstar yeah. coach, um, but just a great influence. Mickey Moore was there. I had Mickey in North Six. In, and just see the way the, the Northern guys think about football, care about football, operate around football. Like, they love it. Like, it's yeah. it, it does mean more to them. Like, and football means a lot to me. But by God, I mean, I remember going out to Pete Donnelly's club, uh, Nafina in, um, where is he? Uh, sorry, can't think of the name. But anyway, down to his club. And um, we, we went down and uh, I, I was there and it was around the time the GPA was kicking off, you know. And one of the fellows was picking the flags. <laughs> and he goes, what about the GPA? And fellas getting expenses. And I went kind of talking well about the GPA. And Pete gave me a, a little nudge into the into the rooms and he as much to shut up, you know. And your man went through the GPA. He goes, We do it for the love of the game. And we pick the flags and we coach. And like they, it just it was it was a religion to them, you know. And uh it was just uh Cole Island, sorry, is the is, is where Pete is from, but just they, they were they were it, it was just for me to see that and then I could just kind of I learned from it, brought it away, kind of just took lessons and then it allowed me to kind of go on then and kind of express myself as a footballer. Because my career for me, oh, Paddy, yes, I scored the goal against in Dublin in 06 and those yeah. bits and those flashes of good stuff. But it really took off when I finished from college, when I could rest during the winter and use the lessons I was kind of learning from college and then kind of take off from there. It, 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 it's massive and, it, and it's so interesting to hear that side of, of people talking about college football because like there's no two ways about it where it sits in the current calendar now inter-county managers probably see it as a bit of a nuisance that that the, the schedule it's, it's there in January and February and it, it eats into their guys and they're looking going I want my these players for the National League or under 20s it clashes with that and you're kind of thinking players there was always an issue with even under 20s championship or under 21 for us at the time it was a championship game on Saturday I can't play the college game on the Wednesday and it was always back and forth but when you actually break down the lessons you learn and how valuable it is to, to the development of players and that window from coming out of school we touch exactly what I was talking about it takes a couple of years to go from 17, 18 to, to be ready to play senior at the county and the Sigerson is a brilliant avenue for players to develop there and exactly what you're saying we had it with DCU and I know two of the best players of our generation Paul Flynn and Michael Murphy lived together in DCU and were like as thick as thieves the pair of them openly both of those players would speak about how influential they both were on each other's careers in terms of Murph trying to get the physical attributes of, of what Flinner was like and, and Flinner learning about the, the technical stuff that Michael was so good at as well and sound that and, and there were so many examples of that in, in my time with DCU and exactly what you're saying uh, with, with Sligo and with Jordanstown as well so it is I think it's a great angle to look at that it's not the Sigerson winning a Sigerson is brilliant but the lessons you learn and how it develops players as well and I know you've been a big advocate of it as well uh, yeah but Paddy just one on that like Paul Finley for me right so when we were minor we played Tyrone a minor not one and we I remember looking at the Tyrone v Manon uh, video before we yeah. went up and played Tyrone and 
basically Tyrone were playing against Paul Finley, like it was the Paul Finley show. It was amazing. So I was always kind of intrigued by this guy. And we go down not three, not four. Armagh come back from winning the All-Ireland not two. They play him on in, in not three. And Finley kicks the lights out to beat Armagh. The next year, he kicks eight, eight or nine points. And I go into training the next year. I, I, I don't have any kind of confidence myself. I think I'm okay, but not great. And this guy... It was hard to get boys training then because our team was that good. Like we'd a ridiculous mm-hmm. team. So, was, but there was one fella that was always, always there, and that was Finley. And I just thought, <laughs> me and Shawnee McDermott were actually there together. Shawnee just lived out the road from me, and we were thinking, if this guy's going to train, <laughs> if we have any chance of making this team, we better be going to train. So there could be eight or ten guys there. Dennis Johnson training us, and it's just there. And Finley kicking ball, kicking ball, kicking ball, and like for a young guy from Balladreen been exposed to that level of excellence. Like it was just, it was just, I, like I knew I had to, to get near that. I knew I had to work up at harder, do you know? Massive. It's an eye opener. Yeah, absolutely. And, and hopefully the GA kind of takes some of that on board because it, it is a, a massive competition for, for, for lots of players around the country. So, um, Andy, you've made no secret. You're, you're going down the Jose Mourinho road. No matter to coaching, you, you get that kind of, passion from you you know and like I say we, we only kind of started speaking probably for the first time earlier on this year starting this pod without a doubt that the infection you have for the game and your enthusiasm and your attitude towards it is, is, is incredible going down the coaching road and you'd see this with, with, with soccer players that when they go down they'd always take influence from coaches they've played under and for you starting it, who who would have had the biggest influence on you as, as a coach was it some of your underage guys and that set you up or was there guys at senior level where it was just an eye opener going Jesus this guy is, is off the charts who are the, the best kind of coaching experiences you've come across that you might base your own style on when, when, when you go down the road yeah so like I think the, the, the whole kind of coach manager thing is is something that you kind of I think it's going to become merged now I think it's going to become it's going to it's going to become one where there's going to be a head coach kind of more so than Anton. Um, and like for me, John O'Mahony is, 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 was the key influence. He was a father figure in my life when I was a young fella, really, to be honest. Like similar to what you were saying there, there was many times when I was 15, 16, where I could have just left it all behind. There was opportunities there where I could have left school after junior search, you know, all that sort of stuff. And his kind of football influence and, and little just little nuggets around the around the time was was key for me. Like his preparation, we were 15, 16 years of age. Like the prep he made us do, the, the questions he'd ask. If you went to O'Mahony with, and I'm sure Jim Gavin was the same, you went to Jono with a complaint, like you you better be ready to answer three questions back about yourself before before you go. So you'd have to have your homework done before you go. So all these top guys would have that and he would be a key influence on me but more on the coaching side of it I remember Keane O'Neill coming into us in 11 2011 and we weren't really exposed to that that, or sorry in 2012 we weren't really exposed to that level of coaching and detail until I seen him so he would be still a major influence on me he was just like he brought us to to a new to a new level. Like he he brought us to a new level. Just and he was only with us for one year. But was, was, that, was that physically, Andy? Like your athleticism, your your, your physical training, or was it analysis yeah. and, and yeah. their tactics and things? Or was it a bit of both? 
everything, everything in, in okay. terms of like, uh, like we weren't like, I, I think the biggest mistake that can be made about Donegal and Mayo in 2011, the same as Dublin, is that you could say, oh, these boys were no good. We were good, like, we were okay. Like we, we got to a, a National League final in 2007 and even in 2010 when we got bet by Sligo and Longford. We, in that National League, we bet Kerry, Cork, Derry and Tyrone all the way from home that year. So we were actually quite good. Only yeah. that we, we made it, we could make excuses too easy. We could literally just go, you didn't track the man, but he didn't give me the ball. Joe, he, he didn't do this, but you didn't do Joe, we make excuses too easy and we were kind of just always kind of looking for an out. Where when Horn came in in eleven, and Keen O'Neill came in, in 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 twelve, there was no excuses. If you didn't do your job in the video, it was pointed out to you. You were saying, "Why aren't you doing this? This is what we need to do. This is the way we need to get better." And for me, just kind of looking at him, his preparation, his attention to detail was huge. Donny Buckley then comes in at in thirteen again, huge influence on me, um, massive in terms of. We'd have very different personalities, me and Donny. We'd clash. We'd have clashed in the past. We would have, honestly, would have clashed because I'd be very kind of positive and high-fivey <laughs> and you know, American kind of stuff at times. But he'd be more down to brass tacks and say, just get it done, stop with all the nonsense and just go. So we would have clashed. But I think in a lot of ways, we'd have merged kind of in our way of thinking and what the skills of the game should be and how you should really focus on the, the basics of the game being really good at one job where yeah. I think we're in a, we're in a world now where everyone wants to be good at something that, that they shouldn't be good at where when I focus my job on just literally win the ball here Andy and try to kick put someone through a line or kick the ball over the bar <laughs> life became very very easy Paddy I'm it's sure you were the same it gives a real, real focus it yeah, gives yeah. a real focus so they were really good and then we Buckley right through and then before that again a game changer for me was John Morrison and Mickey Moore in note 6 not because they were not like we didn't win the All Ireland. It wasn't that we we played particularly well. We had that great game with Dublin, but there was a different way to do stuff. Where like in Mayo, we're very like we haven't won this All Ireland. Round your shoulders until you win it. You can't walk into a pub with kind of pride about yourself, or you can't walk into a public place with pride about yourself until you win this All Ireland. From John Morrison was like, "Hold on here now, one second. He goes, "You can have fun and play good football." You know, and he, he was he implemented the phone, a very serious character, excellent coach, very different viewpoint looking at the game, but showed that there's different ways around it. And then sorry now for dragging it on, but then my like the other coaches I remember is my time in Longford Town, I was just Joe blown away by the level of detail. Joe, the week of a game, you don't tackle each other. Joe, you know, it's all about technical touch, position, all that sort of stuff. Joe, the way you kind of, we did a force course in Longford at the time. And there was a guy called Brendan Constantine there. We always had to go in, watch the games on a Saturday evening that Longford were playing, who was the best player, what position they were playing, and why were they so good, how you covered, pressed, the forward mm. movement, all that. So there was just, there was a lot of kind of influences around the place, but they were the main kind of coaching in a, in a Gaelic football in terms that I had. Yeah, no, and and that it, it's fascinating because like when you have a career that you've had and, and that length, and, and now that you're going into it yourself, it's what lessons you can kind of take from those those different guys because we've experienced. And I wouldn't ask any bad coaches, but what you've seen over the course of your career, club, school, college, county, guys that you go that brilliant, and then there's other guys you come across and go, I definitely wouldn't use that. That's that's not my style. So it's interesting to hear that, that, that those those couple of things, and, and I love that bit of 
the variety that that a new coach can bring that that you can have exposure to one coach and one way of doing things but but like say particularly like the northern coaches we touched on and Andy they're, like they're brilliant for innovation that, that, and I, I was like that we, we had Rory Gallagher come into our club this guy from, from the north coming from, from Anna down into a Dublin club and we were only kids at the time and, and he had a massive impact on the underage players in, in, in St. Bridget's and the schools there because it was just a different way of it hadn't come across it but, but before his style of coaching and the demands he put on you and how was his, his thoughts on play as well so it is it's, it's fascinating to, to hear that and I'm sure you'll have the, the passion and the energy the, the, the energy uh, Adrian McGuckin had for us from Ballet, like the, the, the passion he had for the game like he was like Adrian is, is, is quite an elderly man now he wouldn't like me saying that because he's fit as a fiddle but like even when I was in Jordanstown he was yeah. you no know, he wasn't a young man and the passion, he'd be shouting at you five eights, like he wouldn't say three quarter pace, like it was five eights. And, you know, and, it was just, and all the boys loved him. And they'd have, like, even all the boys from Tyrone, Derry, down, uh, Armagh would have done anthem for him because there's so much respect for him, Joe, because he was involved in the school game. So even that kind of positivity, using positivity as a competitive advantage, he, he was key on that. Like, it was always, you can do it, you know, this is what we need to do and away we go, you know. A couple of shorter ones handy here now. For I'd be interested to know, you know, you you won Player of the Year. You reached the kind of the, the individually the pinnacle of the game. That we voted the best player in the country in 2017. What do you feel was your best ever game for Mayo, and, and why? Is there is there one that you look back on now when you've hung up the boots and go, that was if you could watch one video of yourself going back, that was it. That was the game where where he did, and, and why and, and what was that like? Well, there, there'd be two, and like it's a funny one to say. Would the both be in two? It was one, will it? Jesus, we hear it all day. Two. Yeah, but, but like both of them are 2017. The first game against Kerry, 2017. You catch a hot streak, Paddy. You caught right. it against us in 15. You catch a hot streak, and Jesus, Anthony, you touch. Like I think my first touch was a goal. Like you know, and you, you you're away, and it's you know you're just you're you're delighted, and but like. And then the second one would be Dublin in the same year, in 17. And it's a funny one because I, I know ye kind of never felt you kind of hit your peak against me all because we kind of yeah. kind of sums to kind of take you out of the game in a way. Yeah. You know, we but to me that was the best game. I that's the best all Ireland final you'll ever watch. Like even watching it back, like doing a, doing a few bits over the lockdown and you, you watch it back and you're just like, oh, jeez, some of the points kicked. Even Rock's, point. Rock's point to win it. Um, some of the plays that day were, were 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 incredible. So for me, an opponent I respected so much in Mick Fitzsimons, um, having a toe-to-toe with him. You know, and if you play well and you come out of them games and you do okay, I think you just need to kind of respect that and... It's nearly probably out of respect for Mick Fitzsimons more so than myself, but I do, I, I do have that kind of. Yeah, I had that element where I knew every time I was going in, if I didn't have my number right, like, and I played them in league games where I didn't get a possession, like, because I wasn't ready to play, and I knew every time going in playing against him, I needed to be hundred percent on my peak to have a chance, mm-hmm. and. When you go in and you do okay against him, I think I'd like I'd have I'd have looked back on that, and then the 2017 first game as well. Yeah, I, I, I know it's you talk to any player, you're chasing this hot streak. <laughs> you could spend a career trying to get it. 
what was it that year? Because it was like you'd been around a long time. You were kind of 34, was it 34 in 2017? Yeah, 33 coming 34. And I was... Uh, what was it? Or how, how did you land on it? Because you've obviously been, you've been doing all the right stuff for the three, four years up to that point. You were a massive player for now. And I remember it was just any time you guys played that year. And you, did you play 10 games? Yeah. yeah. The final? It was like, it was... You know, some guy at times, you know, it's a bit of debate who's going to win player. Do you like this year that there's throwing them more of a team? Whereas that year, it was just nationwide. You were shooting the lights out. It was like this guy is having the season of seasons. Was there anything that something changed or was it literally just. There was confidence? a few things, Paddy. Like, I thought I was coming in to a maturity when I was in 2011. Mm-hmm. And I was really happy where I was. Um, we played Cork, we played Kerry, did well, was playing compromised rules in Parnell Park, broke my leg. And I was just kind of, I thought it was just a break leg, but I was going to be captain the year after. So rushed back, did my cruciate the year after, did my back. So I went on this run of injuries. And when I was there in 14, I remember saying to my famous wife at this stage, Jenny, at this stage, thanks to the pod. But uh, I remember saying to her, if I actually could get my body right here, I yeah. like I, I could like have a serious kind of run in here like to the end of my career because I was com- still competing at fourteen like I wasn't great but I still could go in and roll over the ball and someone fly over my head and just you know, set up a score or come on and get a few scores or still be an influence so I was thinking if I get my body right I could go fifteen was the was the turnaround for me I sprinted in Donegal I said it last week I sprinted in that Donegal game for the first time in four yeah. years. It was the first time I'd sprinted since I did a, did, a, did my crucial ligament. And then came on against Dublin, did quite well. And then 16, I thought I was ready to rock. But Rochi didn't fancy me. He just, at the time, he didn't fancy me. Well, I was 32, 33, a new manager. And, like, you couldn't blame him for saying, Jesus, that can happen, yeah, it, it's time to move on here. Just got very lucky, Paddy. Played a club championship game. Shot absolute lights out like like never did it before never did it since <laughs> could do it doing the next Saturday if the truth yeah, is yeah, 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 yeah. But, but just shot the lights out uh, and he didn't pick me again the week after against Fermanagh and I had a row with Tony McAtee on the pitch Tony goes you know Tony and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a row with Tony and I, I just go what do you want me to do like he said you come on against Fermanagh he said you forced two shots and I said sure I have to start forcing something how am I going to get back on the team but no week after to go with me to start me against Kildare and bang away it goes we lost he in 16 after a replay but I knew that winter like I knew listen Andy the body is ready to rock here now mm-hmm. so I just kind of went back into it and then it just took off like Roch- Stephen Rochford was so good to me Paddy like like, yeah. like he was like I couldn't run like he knew if Mick Fitzsimons went up the pitch he knew I wasn't going after him like I couldn't like yeah. if, I went, if I went after him it's taken me five minutes to get out I last 40 yeah. minutes I'm gone I was only going to last 55, 60 anyway right yeah. so like he built a wall like he built two blockers for me like he built Jason Doherty and Kevin McLaughlin who were fabulous players in their own right but they knew if, if they went and Killian used to cover me as well they used to go and cover me man and they allowed me to play and at 33 you know yourself, the legs do start going, mentally you start going. Isn't that amazing, though, Andy, the, the turnaround there from Rashford coming in initially and be kind of looking, and I totally get this, coaches come in and all the players, like, listen, 
you're, you're going to be under pressure for game time here. That the turnaround to then essentially build a forward line around you, like that shows, I suppose, your value that, that how you've kind of performed to get him basically a U turn to say, well, do you know what? Actually, you're integral to us. You know, that's I think. It, don't it, think that's like, so Rochford's game more than more than James's game was it was a kicking game. Yeah. So he, he liked kicking the ball. So if you look at our two goals we got against Dublin in 16 and 17, mm-hmm. one is a kick into Aiden, Lee comes off the shoulder, pops it off, and he, he, he scores the goal. And the second one is the ball comes into me, I win it, lay it off to Lee, and Lee scores the goal yeah. again. So, But they're basically identical goals, try to get through the centre channel. So his was a kicking game, so he needed a ball winner. Mm-hmm. We couldn't win ball at the time. Well, we, it's not that we couldn't, but we were struggling to win it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I just got a bit of form, and it just kind of... It did, then two paths just crossed. Lovely. I found that on that point, I, I wholeheartedly agree because I was looking at you and I, I would have always said similar type players that we weren't electric pace or anything like that. And I was like, how is Moran getting this many scores and what's he doing? And I remember I was watching these against Cork and the Gaelic Grounds. Did you play Cork and the Gaelic Grounds that year and it was, on, it was on Sky and they put up top possessions. This was like 20 minutes into the game and you were top and you had like I think by that stage, 20 minutes, you had about 18 possessions. And I was going, the, the way we were kind of playing with, with Dublin at the time, I could play 70 minutes and I'd have 18 possessions. And I was just kind of, and then all of us just realised every time Mayo had the ball, or could they kick the ball inside? It was direct and you were the target. And I was just thinking, geez, that is unreal. The movement of you to be that outlet, Rochford giving you the licence to kind of say, Andy, don't leave the 21. Stay in there. Use your energy they are outlet there and the possessions you were getting, it started to click down. It's like, Jesus, this, that's why he's getting all these scores. It's not. And a lot of your scores were in around the middle of the goal as well. It wasn't out in the corner flag. And that was just a really smart, like I say, that's brilliant coaching and management, playing to your player's strength. And like I say, I got the best out of you. And I was just thinking, Jesus, I wouldn't mind tugging out for Mayo. For, 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 for yeah, a, lot of, a lot of that credit. It was an incredible Tony, look at it, yeah. Yeah, Tony McEntee as well. Tony McEntee said, he said, what are you running the ball on the sideline for? Yeah. What are you running up yeah. the sideline for? And I was kind of like... Somebody said that to me as well, yeah. Yeah, so I need to, like, I need to win the ball. Like, and he just goes, yeah, but you, you're no good winning out there. <laughs> he goes, we can get any... So anyone can win the ball out there. They're soft possessions. You're looking for soft possessions. So they admitted that I wasn't allowed to go 10 yards either side the post. But, like, mm-hmm. you'd bury your legs, Paddy. You know yourself. You're doing shuttle runs all day. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so they had to be smart kind of runs. And, like... The, the the boys around me were just like uh, like uh, I've often said it like Jason Doherty to me in my second half of my career was my player, yeah. yeah he was the he was the he was the guy for me like he used to just go at the forty five Mick Fitzsimons or Philly Mack went up the field he used to go I have Mandy and I used to yeah. park myself back in where I needed to park yeah, um from the the best games and the manicoys. I found this. This is my first year out of the t- out of, of, of kind of intercounty football. When did you realise yourself? You're two years out of it now. Was there a moment where you kind of you just knew yourself? You sit down with Jenny and say, "Look, I'm out. This is it for me." Was it a tough decision that transition of because you'd 16 years, I, I 12 with Dublin, you'd 16 years in that thing. It's a massive, I and mean, you see the passion you have for the game. It is massive in your life. What was that like and, and how did it come about that that's it, so I'm going to hang up the boots? Yeah, like 17, Paddy, was fatal. Like, like there's no point, there's no point dressing it up. Like, 17 was fatal. Like, yes, individually had a great year, but 
I did feel I like I'm sitting in the hotel room in 17 and I'm thinking, you know, is there any coming back from this? Do you know, mm-hmm. then like like 18, then we we had the little fella. He didn't sleep for eight months. My dad died then five weeks later, and I was just kind of thinking. Joe, we had a horrible year in 18. So when Jay and Frank to go back in in 19, we said we'd give, like, we'd literally, we had the chat, as you said, we sat down. She said, you can't finish, like, we finished on 18. Because she'd be, like, Jenny... 18, the Kildare match, Newbridge. Yeah, yeah. Without the qualifiers. Yeah, so we, we, we had a horrible year. In our personal life that time, we just, it was like, yes, we had the birth of the young fellow, but it was just, it was a horrible year. And went through it a bit mentally that winter. And then, Jenny, like, when Horn rang, then James rang, it was just kind of like... Joe, something, don't finish on that. Joe, go in for yeah. another year. But like, I was done before it started, really. Do you know, I was done before it started. Yeah, I was. I knew it was, I'd say you knew last year was your last year, too. Do you know? Oh, yeah. I, I remember the exact same conversation. We'd, on, on the flip side, that, that, that seven day you felt was, was nearly a fatal blow for you guys. We won in 19. And, I, and I've said this, and, and subsequently, Jim obviously finished after that. The five in a row for us was like, um, Felt like a culmination for that group. Yeah, We've been yeah. building towards it for so long, and then we did it. It was very emotional. It was it was really really emotional after after winning that and the celebrations and everything that went. That was the the, the the pinnacle. So I was nearly ready to go at that point. Particularly when when Jim left then as well. It just felt like that that that's the end of that. That's time to, to kind of the next phase to come true. And I was ready to go. Very similar to what you were saying. That winter I was like. I actually spoke to a few of the lads and was thinking, I'm out the door here. Physically, I wasn't good. I felt I was struggling to be good enough anymore, to be honest. So that's always a part. But then mentally as well, you're thinking, you know, maybe this is, is the time to go. And I met Desi, exactly what you're saying with, with, with James Horn and said, no. And I actually left it to him. I said, what do you think? Like, if you're a new manager coming in, do you want to clear out exactly what you would have spoke with Rochford about? Do you want to clear out the old lads, really, and uh, and put your own stamp on it? And to be fair, Desi was like, "No, I actually think you can still play." Um, I want you to want you to hang on. So I was like, "Right, fair enough. I'll give it another go." And it turned out it was a shit show for me. It was like I was injured, did my hamstring three times that year, and then COVID kicked in. So I mentally, I definitely knew I was I was finished, and I had no kind of qualms about it. Whereas you would have felt that in nineteen that you horn brought you back and. Did you enjoy it, or you just you just knew it was kind of? But I consciously enjoyed it, uh, Paddy. Like I, I, literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally said, I, I wasn't a, like I was the main talker in the dressing room for a long time earlier before. I started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like <laughs> then it was just I, I consciously said, don't go in, don't be influenced because. Joe, you have a different philosophy. I was at that 35 years of age. You're a bit crankier. So I'd have consciously been quieter. Yeah. Like now with the boys, I'd have had the crack with the boys and I'd have had good yeah. times in that 19 restaurant. But in team meetings and stuff like that, I'd have very rarely kind of talked and stuff like that. And I was kind of just kind of assessing it and seeing what James was really good at and trying to take lessons from him. And yeah. so, Even then you're thinking about your own coaching, like, Lessons. Oh yeah, I was thinking about coaching 14 when I was injured, Paddy, because I was thinking mm. I, I I didn't think I'd get back, you know. So I was kind of okay. I was kind of thinking then I've been coaching the club for a couple of years now as well. So yeah. it's um, I was kind of I was kind of doing that anyway. So it was um, yeah, it was it was a real interesting, like really kind of enjoyed it, but in a very different way. We won the national yeah. league, which was lovely, and like you were flaking us in 19 in in the semi final. I remember just yeah. looking up and just thinking. 
you know, I had 10 minutes there to myself. <laughs> I know it sounds bad, but the ball never came near me for 10 minutes. Uh, 10 minutes there to myself thinking, yeah, good times. Let's move on. And I just kind of wiped my hands with it then. And like, was it difficult? 100% it was difficult. Was it, it wasn't any way difficult up to March 2020. I went to my last game, worked for a local radio station, did the Movie Kerry game. And about a month later, then football was gone. Remember football? That was the last day of football that day for because yeah. of COVID. And a month later, it hit me a bit. And then I just started doing different stuff then. But it really? hit me then. I was kind of, there was nothing to do. I had to think about it. I know football. And then I missed it for a while. But there's not, Paddy, I'm sure you're the same. Bar actually the fun of playing the game and the bit yeah. of crack afterwards. There's not another bit of it I miss. There's yeah. not. Yeah, I read another bit uh, a bit from Joe Canning. Like, and I loved it. Like, I like, geez, I was at yeah. it for so long. I was at it for nearly all my life. Yeah, so, like, like, I look at a video now of Balladrine playing the game and I'm way too hard. Like, even now, like, I'm 37, coming 38 yeah. in November, and I'm still thinking... Why haven't I doing this and this and this? And I'm, just like, I'm exhausted thinking about it. So I, I can look at everybody else doing it. But when, once I'm on the tape, I, I struggle with it. So I, there's none of that I miss. There's none of the, like coming up to the All-Ireland final there, there was none of that pressure, none of that anticipation. None of that. It is, yeah. And then, but the, the game itself may be tiny, but, but the aftermath is, is, is what you miss. Yeah. And the, the, the decision itself... When, when, what, when did you announce it? Um, I announced it, would you believe, a week before. <laughs> I remember getting grief. I announced it the week before you played your first game against Kerry in 19. And they said, like, the, the Dublin boys are having the crack with me on Twitter. They said, you couldn't even give us the five in a row. <laughs> Looking for some airtime. <laughs> but I, I, was do, I was doing an interview and I just said, I rang, home, I rang James. I said, listen, I'm going to announce this. I'm just letting you know first. Yeah, what did James say? Or was it a quick conversation? Or uh, he knew I was gone. He said, "Are you sure?" Yes. I said, "I'm 100 percent James. It's time to move on here." Like you know, and yeah. uh, like uh, I remember it easy in the end, in a way. Oh yeah, it was a relief off my shoulders. Yeah. It was done, and I, I remember just thinking, "I'm a grown man here with two kids running my own business, and I'm running around with a pair of shorts on me on a Saturday." You know, I said, "It's time. <laughs> it's time it's to nice yeah. Yeah, 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 it's time. It's time to grow up here, Andy. You know, I need to look after it." And my my own little girl, she was coming to that age where she was going to football and stuff like that. And I needed to, I needed to just kind of concentrate on that. So I was, I was very comfortable. Um, I was doing a couple of interviews that week, coming up to the, and I just said, You're "Never out of the media now." I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's all going to change, Paddy. You're taking over, man. Uh, <laughs> The key is to get out first, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hoover up all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or something better comes along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just, you know, I just I was doing it. I said, do you know something? I said, by the way, I'm actually retired. I'm out the gap. I'm out the gap, yeah. You had a good run though, didn't you? Oh, we had a good innings. And, uh, but like, I, I seen them times in not four, not six, not all them through to not nine and how it changed in terms of professionalism. We great times, dirty doors, like you know, like the crack was, was best in, of all worlds. Sometimes we bit too much crack, but look, we got yeah, there. Yeah. But they, 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 they were, they were listen, Andy. That was uh, that was top class. I actually enjoyed that one. So we give Tommy credit for that. Tommy's finally changed the contracts again, but that wasn't a that turned out pretty well. So Andy, thanks a million for sharing that with us. That was top class. Patrick, appreciate it, lads. That was brilliant stuff. Thanks very much for your time again. I hope everyone at home enjoyed that listening in as much as I did. Fantastic. Um, 
Episode 21 of the Football Pod is in the books. We have another episode coming your way next week with a big guest that we will reveal before mm. before next Tuesday. So be sure to subscribe or get the OTP Sports app if you want to get that interview first. Andy, we're going to leave this week with a word on Paddy Prendergast, a Mayo legend that passed away this week. So I'll, I'll give the last word to yourself. Yeah, I'm not sure I can do the, the man justice. Uh, member of the 50-51 team, um, just a giant of the game here in Mayo, you know, renowned as just his play, his football, his, his full-back play, the way he dominated the, the, the area in which he played. But his club, Ballantubber, from him right through, have produced so many great players, including James Horn, Killian, Jeremy, with all these guys. And... Um, but like, what what a, what a legacy to leave! And I'm sure he thought when they when they lifted the cup and Sean Flanagan lifted the cup in '51, they wouldn't have been the last team to 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 see it since. But um, an amazing legacy, an amazing person, someone that we're very proud of, keeping her flag flying down at Kerry for many years. And uh, I heard his his teammates, uh, Dr. Mick Loftus, talking on the way to the All Ireland final on, on I think it was off the ball as well. And uh, Joe, they're amazing characters and uh, they have great stories to tell and hopefully someone has documented along the way as well. 100% and, and commiserations to, to Paddy's family. Uh, a real legacy, Andy, you're, you're right with that one. Lads, we're going to leave episode 21 of the Football Pod there. It was a pleasure listening to you. Fantastic stuff. Really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to catching up with you again next week. So thanks a million and to everyone at home. Thanks for listening in and uh, see you soon. See you guys. Thanks,